Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone. This is a very special PSVGOT. We're here to have some hard conversations. And for that, I've got my regular, my co-host, the hostess with the mostest, Mr. Coach Mo. How are you tonight? I'm good, bud. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, you know? All things considered, I'm doing well. Yep. And we also brought along for the ride my other co-host <laughs> on PSXP, Mr. Delvin Cox. How are you today? I'm doing good as I can be doing. <laughs> I hear that 100%, man. I it's totally weird understand. I can have both your mistresses right here in the same room at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I was the first one, though. So I, I was the older mistress? Yeah. Oh, you know, it's, it's funny. I didn't even think about that. And if you really want to. DC is the new it. young thing. I'm just the, the, old, <laughs> the old one. That's rough. That's rough, man. I, <laughs> if you if you really want to get into the details, I've got my third mistress behind the the curtain producing in Donnie from, from Game Tech. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh man. Uh, I so, I like the OT better this way when I don't have to do any planning. Yeah, well, you know. I think. I mean. With all the things that are happening right now, with the death of George Lloyd, the the protests, everything, um, I knew we had to say something. I knew we had to come on. I knew that this was going to be a show that the OT had to do. Um, so I reached out to you guys and was like, "Hey, we we got to say something. Um, we got to have a conversation. We got to have a hard conversation. You know, about everything that's going on that's transpiring in our country right now. That's also being protested globally. Um, and I couldn't think of anybody better than to have you two here with me to tackle this hard conversation. Um, so first and foremost, thank you for both of you to agreeing to, to be able to come on and take some time out of your, your evening to sit down and just have a brief chat. Um, we've been having a lot of conversation in our Discord, you know, in our, our mostly in our random chat, then in our offline private chat about everything that's been transpiring over this past week. We've seen Donnie on the front lines working 12, 13 hour days, just <laughs> giving us a play by play from time to time about what's going on. And we've all been on social media. Some of us have taken breaks. We've had some really nice, you know, difficult conversations in our Discord. And the the beautiful thing is I can say that entire PSVG staff is pretty much on the same page in the fact that black lives matter. And I'm just so happy about that, that we're in the same place. We can have a, a conversation, we can break down barriers and everyone is willing to actually listen because that is something that is consistently lost in this conversation is the fact that when somebody says Black Lives Matter, there are people who just don't want to listen to that and understand what that message is actually trying to get across. So again, thank you to the both of you for joining me on this journey anytime fam anytime, anytime definitely 
So as, as we all know, the OT is a conversational podcast. So we typically start out with, you know, a question that, you know, elicits a little conversation, a little deep conversation from all of us. Um, so the first question that we're going to start with tonight is, when was the first time you experienced racism? And I'm going to go ahead and, and start with that so I can give you guys a couple of seconds to you know, get together your thoughts. Cause just like the regular OT, they have no idea the questions that I'm gonna ask today. So I'll go <laughs> ahead and start with it. <laughs> um, the first time that I experienced racism is probably a lot later on in life than people probably would assume just being that I am African-American. I live in Los Angeles. I was born and raised here in LA, but my upbringing was very different. And also just being born in the eighties, there was racism, but it wasn't anywhere near as in your face as it was previously. Like we seem to be like out of the civil rights area and going into stuff to where it wasn't as prevalent, you know, it wasn't as in your face. At least when I was where I was at in LA, I grew up in pretty much middle to upper uh, middle class uh, area in LA, pretty much in the dab smack middle of LA, like Beverly Hills was a stone throw away. Like Crenshaw district was a stone throw away. Like everything was really close. South central was actually rather far from where I grew up at. So I didn't experience racism until much later, in life, like junior high, to be perfectly honest. And it was in a very different way. It wasn't, you know, somebody calling me the N word. Um, somebody being just mad disrespectful in, in some kind of way. It was way less overt than that. Um, as a child, like elementary school, my first school was a, a predominantly black private school. Um, that was really, really focused on academics. So by the time, and I was only there till first grade. So by the time I got to like second grade, I was pretty much advanced. I ended up being in a, in a third grade with a couple of second graders class for my second grade. And this was a predominantly Korean school. So I go from being with all black kids to pretty much predominantly Korean, some white, some black. And throughout that entire time, like in elementary, there wasn't really any kind of racist overtones that I felt at all as a kid. Like they just, there wasn't anything. The closest thing we had was when we had the, the, the Rodney King way. That was probably the biggest thing that first opened my eyes to racism, but it wasn't something that I really was expressed towards me or I really experienced it. I was still kind of young. I understood what was what they did to Rodney King was wrong, but I didn't quite understand the whole racism overtone that was happening. I understand that there were riots, people were upset because Rodney King got beat. But at that time, I didn't really understand that it was because he was black. It took a while for that to really set in. So that was the first like time I really experienced any kind of racism and started to understand a little bit more about the world that we lived in. Um, it was a really, really just crazy time being able to walk outside and just see ashes from everything burning. My mom telling me, you can't, you can't go outside. You can't go down to 7-Eleven. You can't go across the street. Like, no, if you're going to play, you're going to play in the backyard because stuff is hitting the fan. And my parents didn't really explain anything to me. I saw the stuff on the news and everything and tried to had, to had to deduce most of it. I didn't really have anybody to explain exactly what was going on. Unlike now, like your parent, like as a parent myself, like we explain, like, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. My parents pretty much just, you know, didn't really say much. So that was really my first interaction with it. And then later on, once I got to junior high, 
it was really, really weird. I went to a much more diverse junior high than my elementary school because being in the middle of LA, like everything was there. Like we had Hispanic, we had black, we had white, we had Asian. There was literally a melting pot. So I didn't ever go anywhere and I was the only black person. Not not in that part of LA at all. Like there was everything. And getting into junior high, every group was kind of segregated. So to where I'm normally used to being around a lot of Asian kids, a lot of white kids and a couple of black kids. Now it's this huge melting pot of Hispanics, blacks, whites, everything. And that was when you started to see the more racism, the, the more racism come out, the pockets, the the segregation of all the groups, like all the black kids were hanging out together. You had the, the Hispanics hanging out together. You never really saw the Asians or the white folks, which was really weird. And that also continued in the high school. Like you, you, you knew they were there, they would be in your classes, but you didn't really see them at lunch and recess. You're like, where'd they go? I know they're here. Where they at? But in junior high, that's when you start noticing. When you start going to the mall, and every time you go to the mall, you're getting followed in the store where your other friends ain't. Like if you're with the white person, they ain't being bothered, but they constantly follow you throughout the mall. You're constantly being looked at. You walk into a grocery store and you're being looked at like, okay, what you getting? Do you need some help? The constant asking, do you need help? What are you looking for? Can I help you find something? That type of just really subtle, really subtle racism is is just, it's so irritating. It's the little microaggressions that you don't really think about it in the, like the, the very moment, like the, the, the actual, like when it happens. But then as soon as you leave the store, you walk out and you look back, you're like, man, that was, that was, that was racist. And they just followed me around like I was going to steal something when I'm actually in here buying stuff, you know, especially when I went to the Santa Monica mall. Oh man, you go there, they following you everywhere. So that was like my real first brush with racism. Um, so I'm gonna let y'all take over and tell me your your first experience. Uh, who wants to go first? I'm gonna let y'all go. Um. So I'm I'm kind of torn between there are three situations that I remember, um, and I think the one that is the most prevalent in my mind was um so my daughter is named after uh, a really good friend of mine who passed away of cancer his name's kalani um kalani is uh half hawaiian uh pacific islander and half black his dad was black and his mom's hawaiian and i i lived with them for uh, uh, like a year and a half in high school just because i didn't have anywhere else to stay and me and kalani were always very very close and um kalani had this really beat up honda accord like you know how when you, someone thinks they know how to soup a car up, but they don't? So, like, it's like a spoiler, and they painted the rims themselves? Like, that's what Kalani, yeah, that's what Kalani did to this Honda Accord, and there was no heater in this thing. Like, it, it was busted. Um, he kept trying to tell me it's because he put a supercharger in that, and I was like, no, you didn't. Like, it's just broken. Like, stop lying to me. Um, and one night after a game, he was like, hey, um, I know you want to go home. Cause I didn't, I didn't like going to the parties and stuff. I'd much rather go home and like make myself a really big sandwich and fall asleep, like watching film, like just how I've always been. And, um, he goes, drive home for me. <coughs> I was like, all right. And so I had my big puffy jacket on and I had my hood on because I'm in this car with no heater. And it's like, you know, November in Oregon, which isn't like super cold, but it's like 35 out. It's like almost freezing. Right. So I'm driving home and I get pulled over 
I'm like, oh, okay, I got pulled over. It's not my car. Okay, I had my driver's license. I don't know if Kalani has insurance or not. And I roll the, uh, the, the window down, and the officer goes, oh, have a good day. I was like, oh, that was weird. So I drive the rest of the way home. Uh, like four days later, I'm in the car with Kalani, um, and it was like a brutal practice. I just remember being like dead tired. Uh, I have the same puffy coat on. I don't have my hood up, but you know, like when you lay the seat down the Honda Accord, that you're like almost invisible. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yes. And like I'm just, I'm just like, oh my legs. Like I'm complaining. I'm like, why don't you have a heater? Like we need to spend some time, some money, and fix this thing. Like, dude, you're killing me. Like it is too cold out. Uh, my breath is freezing coming out of my mouth. And we get pulled over again. And he goes, don't put your seat up. Let the officer see you. I go, what, what are you talking about? Like, not a big deal. I got pulled over like the other day in this car. And the officer comes up, much different demeanor, and yells for me to put the seat up looks at me and goes, oh, this is your car. I was like, no, it's his car. I'm, I was just driving it the other day. So he makes Kalani get out the car, takes to ask Kalani for his registration and his insurance, his license. And I was like, I, I just got pulled over by you like four days ago. And you just said, have a good day. Like, what's the issue? And he ends up giving him a ticket for his, for his taillight. This, we get oh, to his house. the taillight ticket. We get to his house and I'm like, your taillight works fine. Like this is complete, this is garbage. So I actually made him, he was like, I'll just pay the, the 150 bucks. Like, no, you're not paying 150 bucks, you idiot. And he goes, you don't understand big guy. And Kalani knew that this is, I'm the same guy who didn't know he had gotten dumped for like four months because she, you know, I was dating this girl my freshman year and we broke up, but I didn't know we broke up. I thought we were still dating. Like <laughs> he knew that's who I was. So like, he knew like, I just didn't catch on to certain things. Like, because if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. He's like, no, no. I'm like, no, we're fighting this. My guy, like I was with you. We can show him that the taillight works. It didn't magically fix. So we went and pled the case and the, the judge actually knocked like a hundred bucks off. So like a third dollar ticket. I was like, well, that's not justice, but whatever. Kalani gets pulled over two weeks later, exact same cop. Again, I'm in the car. Let's us go. Right. And I didn't realize it until Kalani said something at graduation. Like we were at the grad party and we're sitting there talking. And he was like, I'm just so glad to get out of this neighborhood. And I'm like, yeah, cops do not like you. And he goes, well, that doesn't change no matter where I go, big guy. And like that was the moment I was like, huh. Oh. Yeah, and like it, he kind of put the puzzle pieces together for me, and I just remember being just kind of shocked because like it didn't make sense. This is a guy that I'd I'd gone through horrible, horrible workouts with that we had like battled and and we won a district championship together that brought pride to our area, and yet because he was black, well, half black, he wasn't equal for some reason, and um, it it devastated me. Like it's something that I, it, it kind of knocked me down. And I remember like, he goes, like he's patting on the back and he's like, no, no, it's okay, big guy. It's okay. And I'm like, that's just the kind of person he was. Like he was so worried about taking care of other people, but this is something he dealt with his whole life. And I'd only like barely understood it. And I'll just, I'll never forget learning it that way. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think every black person has a taillight story. I swear. 
Yeah. All uh, tail don't work apparently. Right. None of them. Everybody's got a broken tail light. It's ridiculous. Yeah. What about you, Devin? Let me know your your story. Well, mine's a little bit more kind of darker, I guess. Like mm-hmm. I, I told this over Twitter. What happened? Um, when I was young, I was like in first grade. Uh, my mom moved us to Orlando for like a year. So I went from going to a school that was predominantly black to a school where I was like one of the only black kids in the school. And it was interesting because a lot of these white kids that went to school, you can tell they never saw a black kid before. So they were very interesting, always asking questions and stuff to me and things like that. And someone to hang out with me and stuff. It was cool. It was interesting. But I remember one specific day I was, I want to say I was on a swing and this white kid comes off, pushes me off the swing and calls me a dirty N word for no reason whatsoever. I get up, I punch the kid in the nose, break his nose. Teacher gets called. We get called to the principal office. The kid gets to go back to class. I get sent home suspended for three days. And I got in trouble with my mom, not because of what happened, because I didn't want to tell her about it, because I was embarrassed and ashamed that uh, like I punched this kid, not realizing like what he did. And when I told my mom, she was like, I'm not mad for what you did. I'm mad because you didn't tell me. And she had to go out to the school and talk to him. And they got rid of the suspension, but still, you know, it shouldn't have been one in the first place. And it's just kind of one of those things that just kind of stick with you. Like you have these moments in life that you just never forget, no matter how hard you try. Or sometimes you don't even want to forget them. You want to remember it right. because that's kind of like a a lesson learned. And that was me being older now. I wonder like, what was they teaching that kid? Like that was first grade. Mm-hmm. And for him to be saying that to another black kid, saying it to a black kid just out of the blue and push him. Like I hadn't had barely any interaction with this kid whatsoever, but he saw me and saw an N word and felt like it was okay to call me that and push me. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that was the reason that I asked this question. Because I saw your tweet, and I, I wanted to just bring some levity to the fact that growing up in all over different places, like, you experience it so differently, you know? Like, being in the South, <laughs> in Orlando, where you were, is a very different experience where I was, but there's still racism, and it's it's everywhere. It's like, no matter which part of the 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 world you live in, which part of America you live in, like it's there. And there's some places that it's superly overt, like in Delvin's case, or it's something that's just a microaggression where I'm at, or it's the taillight where Mo experienced, you know, and it's something that he never even thought about. And until you see it, a lot of people don't realize how racist people still are. Like, and this is, this is, what first grade for you, Delphine? That was like a million years ago because you like nine hundred, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but in real talk, like that's what thirty years ago, thirty five years ago, something like that. 
Yeah. We ain't we and we really haven't made progress. Like my daughter got called the N-word at her school not too long. Like this, like I mean maybe last year. It's like, have we really made any progress at all? I remember feeling like these type of these type of conversations, these thoughts weren't really in my headspace in the nineties, early two thousands. Like we felt like it felt, you know, like we were making some progress. And then come to find out, you know, we really ain't progressed at all. Like we still fighting the same fights that, that our parents fought, that they parents fought. The one thing about this protest is that it feels different. Like it is not just in a couple of states, it's not just in the South, it's not just here or there. Like it is, there has been a protest in every single state in this country. And not only do we have protests there, but we have them globally. So for once, this actually feels different. It feels united. And I am so prayerful that there will actually be some kind of change that ha- happens from these protests and the fact that we're not letting up because it's not just it's also brianna taylor it's also ahmaud arbery like all of these different people like we're not just stopping once you know the three officers the other three officers are actually you know brought up on charges like we're, we're looking for that conviction and then it's like on to the next one like we're not stopping just this point like we're trying to really make change because it needs to happen it's so far overdue it's not even funny I think that um, it's interesting to see how everything's going right now. And we went from the whole Colin Kaepernick thing where people were so vehemently against it and made it seem like him kneeling was un-American to where we're at now where you have the NFL like pseudo-issuing an apology and saying Black Lives Matter when years went not too long ago, we would never even think we'd hear them say something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's growth. I think it's progress. I think the world is waking up. And I feel like we've had too many of these situations where we see the same results over and over again, a black life lost. And it's always seemed like it was an excuse for it. And yeah. now it's like, we don't care about your excuses. Like even now, as I watch the news and I watch Twitter, and it's it's sickening to see like people are actually trying to make excuses for it, for George Floyd's death, and mm-hmm. it's crazy. It, it's it is like vehemently being getting backlash. Like I've seen some quote unquote political pundits saying, "Well, why are you guys rallying behind George Floyd? He wasn't exactly a good person," and I'm like. This ain't the time. This ain't the place. And they are getting backlash for that as Mm -hmm. they should. And it's almost like people are trying to stop the movement, but it's gotten to the point where it's so big now, you can't retain it. Like, only thing you can try to do is move the goalposts, but that's not even working. Everything they've done so far to try to stop this movement and kind of quill it down has kind of made it stronger. We've seen them beat people who are peacefully protesting. We've seen them try to blame it on the rioters. We've seen them do everything in their playbook that they usually do that works, that silences these protests usually, and none of it's working. If anything, it's gotten louder and more visible. And I think that's just that's just the sign of this this climate today. Like people are tired of it. People are sick of seeing 
the same thing over and over again. And, you know, it's just, it's time for change. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, thank God for the camera phone, right? Like, everybody's recording everything. Like, you ain't getting away with this crap no more. We're sick and tired of it. Like, we are done. We are done having these conversations. You're going to have to address the issues. You're going to have to address the videos. Like, y'all ain't right. The, the brutality issues, it needs to, it needs to end. Like, it, it blows my mind when you think about that Kaepernick was trying to, to shed light on this years ago. And if only somebody would have, instead of trying to silence him or make it about disrespecting the flag, which he said the first time he did it, this is not about the flag. I'm not disrespecting the flag. I've spoken to veterans. I'm kneeling to bring a light to what's going on with police brutality. This is no disrespect to the flag. And it's just like they just nobody wanted to hear that. Everything was shifted to where you're disrespecting the flag, you're disrespecting the flag, but nobody wanted to listen. And that's the problem. Nobody ever wants to listen. When you say Black Lives Matter and you get the response, but all lives matter, you're not listening. Because Black Lives Matter, as we've said time and time again, does not mean other lives don't. It doesn't mean all lives don't matter. It means listen to me. Listen to why we are saying this instead of shutting it down and retorting with all lives matter. Why don't you ask me why I'm saying that? Ask me why I have like ask why do you feel the need to kneel Kaepernick? Like actually listen, have a conversation about why we are saying that, why we are feeling the way we are we, we feel. And when you don't listen and you respond with all lives matter, that just goes right into our point of why it feels like. Black lives don't matter because you refuse to listen to everything that we're trying to tell you, everything that we're trying to show you, and it has erupted into what's going on right now. Yeah, I think when it comes to the all lives matter thing, it's it's frustrating to me because one is disingenuous. It is 100% disingenuous in terms of all lives matter because we don't say only black lives matter. That has never been said. That has never been uttered. That has never been a statement even thought of. It's saying, hey, we matter. Black lives matter. Stop gunning us down. And mm-hmm. then when people say all lives matter, it's almost like in this situation when we talk about black people, all lives matter. Because mm-hmm. just a few weeks ago when we were talk- dealing with a pandemic, people were literally saying, you know what, if a few people die because of we opening up early, that's not a problem. We can, we can deal with that collateral damage. But now when we're talking about the depths of young black men. We're like, no, no, no. Everybody matters, you know. No, it doesn't work like that. And I feel like mm-hmm. America needs to wake up, and this is their wake up call. And it's interesting to me because, and you guys can both attest to this. For years now, African Americans have been saying, "Hey, all these racist mon- monuments need to come down. Mm-hmm. This is offensive. They shouldn't be there." The Confederate Army lost. They were traitors to our country. Why do we still have these damn up? And but nope, for, forever and then day they've been saying, no, they have to stay up. They have to stay up. They have to stay up. No, this is our history and stuff like that. And they're important. Now, once this thing, everything happened to happen here was the protests and the riots. It's been going on for almost, what, eight days now? 
Mm-hmm. Not everybody's reconsidering a thing. Now these monuments are coming down, and we're seeing like they're, they're, we're seeing progress. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. After it's sad that I don't I don't agree with rioting. I'm not a fan of it personally, mm-hmm. but it's Me sad either. that we have to get to the point where we're tearing up stuff for people to listen, mm-hmm. and the people say maybe we should fix what we're doing wrong. And I get that people are mad. They're like, hey, they're rioting and they're tearing up stuff. One, it's not black people. It's not all black people doing that. So don't stop that narrative right there. Two, these people are angry because they've been saying the same thing for decades now at this point. And it's been ignored. And eventually when you keep ignoring people, they're going to revolt. This country was started off of the fact that we revolted from another place. Like, mm-hmm. if anything you know about Americans, one thing we're good at is revolting. Yep. We will revolt in a minute and break forth and do what we need to do to get do the right thing. And I think that this is that. Like, black people just gotten tired of it. And not only black people, just everybody. <laughs> Americans in general <laughs> has gotten sick and tired of it. They don't want to see it anymore. Like, how often can we see these same stories and people getting gunned down and the cops get off or choked out. Like, after a while, that gets, like, too much. And now it's gotten to that point where, like, no, enough is enough. This has to be fixed now. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so funny that you bring up the the Confederate, like, all of that stuff. It. Like they talk about this is our heritage, but why would you want that to be your heritage? Like, why would you want it to mm-hmm. be about like, why would you want to be proud of slavery and what that was and them seceding from the union to try to uphold something that you're one, you're ashamed of. Like there is so much shame in in slavery in that period of time. Like my daughter's teachers <laughs> did not want to or didn't know how to teach about slavery during Black History Month because it gives the white children so much shame. She was like, I'm ashamed of this. Like, I don't want to teach this. But yet you have people in the South that like, that's our heritage. Like, we're proud of that. Like, why would you be proud of that? Like, you should be wanting those monuments to come down because that doesn't represent who you are as a person. Like, that is not something to be proud of. So the it's, fact that in 2020, we're still have these up and we're tearing them down, like that should have been gone a long time ago. It's literally the equivalent of going in Germany and seeing Hitler statues everywhere. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Yep. It makes no sense. <sighs> Man. The hard conversations. <laughs> no, for sure. Um, So like a year ago, year and a half ago, I went on that passion project where I wrote about fanboyism, right? Mm-hmm. And that led to me gaining some just education from different scholars about uh, people and how they identify. And that led to me writing a paper last October that uh, my professor actually offered me a job because of. Um, it was in my uh, sports ethics class. And we were being talked about just the situations arising in sport. And so my paper is called I Hate White People. Um, Mm. I really hope no one takes that the wrong way because in the paper, it it goes on to identify that if you're, 
identifying characteristic of yourself is your skin color, then you're only able to identify as a pigment, right? That's mm. it. That, that, that is your identity is your skin pigment, which is the most superficial that you can get, right? And I put like your identity cannot be based off your political view or your faith. And I, and I went into this in this paper. And the main concept that I was trying to broach and explain is that our identities, like what we know of ourselves, shouldn't be based on a word that is associated to something outside of us, right? Your identity should be, this is what I am, right? This is when I feel how I feel. These, these are, this is what I am. This is the intrinsic thing for what I am. It's not ex extrinsic. There's no reward on it. And so I constantly find myself just in shock and awe when I'm going through and what, seeing people talk about this stuff is because, you know, they're trying to go, well, it's uh, Democrat versus Republican. No, no, it, it's human beings versus racist. And that's mm -hmm. what I've been explaining to my students. Like, if, if, if you hate somebody based off of skin pigment, that means that there is nothing more to you. You have no identity, right? you are soulless and that's where this problem gets into and in trying to understand it is that we're constantly looking at people trying to find this way to identify themselves and i really think that morality is the, the missing issue right it's that thing that's not taught in school mm -hmm. it's it's that thing that when you look at what they do at police academies um is not being spent anywhere near enough time on right um last week i had a conversation with my football players and i said listen if you ever get pulled over, you're going to open your phone and you're going to push call coach Mo and you're going to put on speakerphone. And the moment any of you call me on the phone, I'm opening my phone. I'm starting recording. And I'm just going to tell the police officer that I am coach Robert Mahoney at this high school. This is my player. And I am here documenting this entire conversation. Right. And when I told my kids that they're like, well, coach, do you hate the police? I'm like, no. I just think they're lacking morality. I think that they identify as cops. And if you identify only as a cop, a cop's job is to catch the bad guy, quote unquote, right? And I think that that identity issue is what's leading us down the roads we're going down, is that these officers don't have a moral identity. They don't have a compass inside of them that says, this is what actually protecting my, the people of this city is. Mm -hmm. It doesn't revolve around skin pigment. It revolves around morality of protecting everyone. And I just keep finding myself shook because I don't know what the answer is, right? I don't know. I don't know what more I can do to help and what more I can do to speak because at some point in time, you have to start reaching people's hearts. And I think that's one of the hardest things we're ever going to do as a country. I think that's going to be a, an issue that's going to take more than riots. It's going to take like literally sitting down and having those really tough conversations in rooms that nobody wants to be in. Absolutely. hundred percent. The hard, the hard talks. Like I think about like, you just talked about the moral compass and it makes me think about in Buffalo when those two officers like shoved that, that 75 year old man who fell back, like fell flat back on his head and started bleeding from his ears. And the cops just kind of kept walking and kind of stepped over him. Like it didn't happen. What about that is protecting like serve and protect. Like why would you think that that's okay? Your 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 sole purpose as an officer is to uphold the law and to serve and protect. Yet you just pushed a seventy-five-year-old man and watched him fall and started bleeding from the ground. The statement was that he tripped and fell, but people they just kind of kept 
stepping over him like that was okay. And then that whole like emergency response team, they all resigned because they felt like the other two were being unfairly treated. Where's the looking inward? Where's the accountability? Like you talk about reaching your heart like that, that, that type of moment is a total like grip yourself, look at, take a look at the hard look in the mirror at yourself and figure out like, what am I doing? Yeah, you were saying that learned behavior. That's all it is really that. Unfortunately, these police officers are taught these like these bad habits that they have in terms of like that whole choke maneuver that they were doing with the foot on the neck. That's something that they were taught. Because I don't know if you saw it, like there was another video of another officer in a completely different area doing the same move to another black person. These are things that they are taught. This is learned behavior, and I think that we have to break these police officers of this learned behavior because it's a problem. They have been taught to do to handle situations a certain way when it comes to African Americans because we've seen multiple times that when white people or other white races do these similar acts, they don't get treated this way at all. And that's a problem. I feel like it's sad to say that African Americans get targeted. We get targeted. We're treated more aggressively. And when we ask what's wrong, it, it escalates. When we say, hey, why are you stopping me? Why are you trying to arrest me? What's going on? What did I do wrong? It escalates and we get hurt for asking questions. And that's a problem. That's yeah, a problem with society. No one should ever get hurt for asking a police officer, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why are you detaining me, officer? Like, what, what, what did I do? And yeah, you're right. It escalates. It, it's so funny how that happens. And uh, just to, to clear, clarify something, uh, was just let, 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 known, let, let known by chat that the officers that resigned actually resigned because the union wouldn't cover their legal fees which I think is also absolutely ridiculous. Why would they cover their legal fees? Like that kind of the whole purpose of the union. And that's a whole other conversation. Uh, man. Just. Yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. That it is. And the worst thing about this is that I'm seeing now is a lot of these stories, like, with all this going on, we're still seeing cops doing crappy stuff. <laughs> like, you would think that this one video that went viral that they seen, the police are literally seen killing an African-American male. They would stop doing this stuff. But all through these protests and riots, you're seeing them do similar acts of violence, acting like the thugs that they call us. Right. It's insane. It truly, truly is. It's so upsetting and so just disheartening to know that these are the people that are supposed to be protecting everyone. And it's like you see all this and yet you still you don't have any compassion like to be like, okay, we need to change this behavior. And I can understand feeling like I I think the the job, the, the, the career of an officer is not an easy it's not something that should be taken lightly. Like these people are literally putting their lives on the line every day when they go out into the field. Like it's a life or death situation. And I can understand that at some point, maybe you become either desensitized to it or you feel like you're you're not appreciated for the work that you do. 
but you're still met, you're still out there to serve and protect. And if you can't hold on to that, then you need to step away. Like I think that the the cops, their their shifts can sometimes be so long and you see so much darkness that there should be way more downtime, way more just space out of just the the getting down into the dark nitty gritty. And maybe they would have more compassion. They would see us more, see everyone as people instead of a perp or a suspect and treat them like human beings instead of just some other bad dude. And they'd actually listen to the conversation. Like I, I read another story. Um, in Sacramento, or maybe not Sacramento, but it was, it was it was out here up north, where there was a guy who teaches the officers how to de-escalate situations. He saw some officers getting out of hand, being way more rough with protesters than they should be. He walks over to them, hands with his hands up, like trying to talk to officers, talk them down, and they sh- they shot him with the beanbag. They shot him a couple times in the groin. He had to have emergency surgery. And he may not be able to have kids again. And he's like, they don't know who they're dealing with. I work with the police chief on a regular basis to teach you guys how to de-escalate situations. What is that training even doing when you think about it? When it comes to something like that, like you shot a dude who had his hands up, who was trying to talk to you. Mm. Hey, it's bad. <laughs> And that's one of many stories that we've seen through these protests. Like we've seen them literally arrest a black FBI agent. That was the thing that really like this whole situation has been shaking, right? It's one of those things that like, as you're looking at it, you, you kind of self-reflect and go, how is this the world we live in? But the simple fact that, I'm sure that that FBI agent was trying to tell them in some predetermined way, right? There has, I would only assume, and I'm I'm not the smartest guy in the block, right? I understand that. But wouldn't you think that there was some kind of safe word or setup or code or something that you would be able to use in that situation that that FBI agent was probably trying to use? Like you would think, right? Like, it, there should be some kind of interagency cooperation. Again, this is just me assuming, but if you know, like, hey, the FBI are in this area, they have people undercover, here's the thing they're going to say, right? They're going to repeatedly ask me about apricots, okay? At some point in time, like, how does that not compute? Like, there has mm-hmm. to be something, right? And I just don't understand how just blatantly disrespectful that you continually to see people happening. What I love about what Dev was saying about the cameras is now the police are the ones being policed. And I mm-hmm. think that this is something that if it doesn't happen soon, I think body cams should be required. And the moment your body cam goes off, you were suspended for a week and it's a full investigation, right? If you turn that thing off at all during a shift, nope, we need to know what's going on. Like there, there has to be a reason this thing's being turned off. That's not good. Yeah, So Absolutely. I've never understood why they would ever go off. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. And it's funny. <laughs> I was watching something with Trevor Noah where the the cops, like, their body cams show them planting evidence in Maryland. Several different instances of it. It's like, okay, how do you have this happen several times? This is exactly why we have the body cam. So when you turn it off, something ain't right. Yeah, and like you said, that should be a definite suspension without pay, week long investigation. Because if you're on the up and up, 
and you're doing what you were sworn in to do, there should be no reason for you to even feel any kind of way about turning your body cam off. You should be like, yeah, because not only does the body cam police you, it also protects you from when the actual suspects who are bad people are getting out of line and doing things they shouldn't be. You have that video as proof as to why you had to do what you had to do. Yeah. But when you turn that off, you lose all accountability. You, you all accountability. Credibility. Right? Credibility. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Credibility. I was like, I was like, yeah, like if, if I'm sitting down and talking to an officer and I, okay, I have all your footage. I can watch it. Like that makes you, you would seem credible. Whereas if you're like, uh, yours turns off at the two minute mark <laughs> yeah. and does not turn back on. Like yeah. that's when you know, you sit there kind of going, I no longer trust you. Like, I feel like the reason you turned it off is, you know, this, this, and this. Um, the thing that I had, one of my students and I were talking about body cams and he was like, well, what about when they go to the bathroom? I'm like, homie, it's, it's not like a panoramic view. Like it looks straight. Like unless your chest is bent at a 90 degree angle when you go to the bathroom, you're probably fine, right? So I don't think even that would be an issue. So I just, yeah, it's one of those things that I, I'd like to see. I'm going to be pushing for it more. Like yeah. I was about to say, I'd like to see the officials push. For, no, that was the thing that I realized when all this went down was that I can no longer just relax and say, you know, I hope they fix that. No, no, I have to now make it part of what I do in my daily. Um, I've already, I've already emailed the police uh, chief in our district and said, Hey, my name is coach Mahoney. Here's where I work. Here are the people that I work with. I want to find out who's teaching morality and ethics to these officers. I want to know what training happens. And I've gotten two or three really great emails back. And he says, listen, when things slow down, I would love to have this conversation with you and your kids. It's great. Thank you. Right. So that was just something that when I just was about to say it, I was like, nope, that's, that's no longer the way this works. It's no longer, I hope they fix it. It's how am I going to help them fix this? Absolutely. Speaking on that, you wrote a letter to, to someone, Delvin, who'd you write a letter to your. My governor. Governor. There we go. I wrote a letter to the governor of Florida asking what does he plan on doing about this and what's his action plan on stopping police brutality in Florida because he's in charge. And then, like, the buck stops at him. Like, at some point, legislation needs to be passed on. Like, when we have situations that happen like this, there needs to be consequences for it. Like, mm-hmm. if it's a blatant murder, like what we saw, that should be that should be called a hate crime. I strongly believe that. And I strongly believe that if these cops are gonna go out and do things like this that are blatantly killing young African Americans, young minorities, period, it should be labeled as such a hate mm-hmm. crime. Cause that's what it is. It's yeah. no bare bones about it. Like there needs to be laws in place to stop police officers from doing these acts. Yeah. And as of right now, there's too many loopholes for cops to get through so they don't have to have any consequences for their actions. And that's a big problem. Like, who's policing the police? Who's mm-hmm. watching the watchmen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. what, what I love about what you just said, DC, is the fact that during the pandemic, during March, April, and May, uh, I would I would get an alert on my phone because we subscribed to find out what DeSantis was going to announce, right? We were, what's the governor going to say about when are my schools opening back up? When can I get back to work? When can my kids come train again? 
And I would say that we were having two or three a week where he or the mayor from Orlando were speaking. I have not heard one of them have a press conference in the last eight not days. One word. Not, not one word. word from the mayor of Orlando or the governor of Orlando. Not nothing. They can talk about the pandemic and data and pull all these people together, but all of a sudden, radio silence. And that just boggles my mind. The only thing I've heard from anyone thus far in terms of these boycotts has been the, the mayor of Miami and the chief of police saying that all the riots that were happening down here were not from Florida Florida residents. Mm-hmm. That's the only <laughs> thing I, they were like, we arrested 22 people. None of them were for down here. <laughs> no one was local. Yeah, it's no so funny was. how that's just like the the running thing. Like everywhere I've seen, like everybody who gets arrested for this stuff is from out of state. Like that's just so baffling. Like, hmm. Yeah. So hmm. Gonna, Why would that be? <laughs> I have no idea. It just makes no sense. I and it, it, it's. It's like that just that doesn't seem off. You don't you don't think that's a little weird that everybody is apparently from out of state? Like that's it feels like it's just another one of those distractions. Like it's trying to distract you from the real issue. And and that's something that we've seen time and time again from this administration. It's always trying to distract you to keep you from knowing what's really going on and focused on the issues. And I'm glad that that's not happening. The fact that we're in day eight of this, like we're not letting up. Like this ain't going away until we fix it. And I'm so so just moved by that the fact that we're not allowing little distractions to get in the way of trying to actually have sweeping changes like i saw i saw today like uh, that that, uh, we're actually like cutting some of the budget to the police out in in lapd like they're taking away i think it was like 250 million from them to then put into programs for the inner city and things of that nature and then i saw what the police what the police budget is and it's like billions of dollars so taking up a, a measly little 250 million is like nothing to them. Like their budget is so insane. It's like how much of that budget goes into like training for morality or being able to de-escalate a situation or, you know, working with the community. Like I should know the cops that are in my area. Like they should know who I am. They should understand who I am. So if something does happen, there's some level of understanding between the people who police my area and who I am. I think that is something that is sorely missing nowadays. Like the actual interactions you have with the cops, it shouldn't be like, I don't know you from Adam. It should be, there should be a little more familiarity, which I know is hard on a, on like the grand scale, but we need to be able to get back to that type of situation to where I actually know who you are as an officer. You know who I am in some way, shape or form. So there's not this automatic, like, I don't trust you. You don't trust me. And the situation gets escalated because you don't have your escalation training. And I'm worried because I'm black. You know, I will go a step further and say that the vetting process for cops should be more detailed. Like I want the best of the best to be cops. And when I say the best of the best, if they're the best of the best, I don't care what they get paid, but I want people who are going to go in there and do the right thing nine out of ten times. Like you're not nobody's perfect, mm-hmm. but I want cops who are going to watch over communities, not just be biased to, to one particular race or not. I want cops who look after the neighborhood that they patrol in, and not just 
want to just arrest people because they want to arrest people. I think yeah. that goes a long way. And we have too many bad seeds mm-hmm. in law enforcement right now. And I know people are like, oh, not all cops are bad. That is true. Not all cops are bad, but enough cops are bad for situations like this to happen. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one innocent life lost is one too many. Yeah. And I think I think there's a sentiment of the, to that that is something we need to look at as a whole because I couldn't watch the video the first three times that I tried, right? I just, I couldn't. I was like, I'm not, I, I don't. I don't enjoy movies with torture in them. Like, it just makes me sick to my stomach. Um, the one time, I think it was Call of Duty Black Ops or Black Ops 2 had a really bad torture scene. I just, I just turned the 360 off and said, nope, mm-mm. Nah, I'm not ready for this. Like, this is just not more. There's a reason I love sports. Sports are fun <laughs> and predictable. They are games. Like, it, it's the thing I love about them. And um, so when I finally watched it, I got really mad at two people, right? Like, I, I got really mad at the officer who was standing there watching. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I, I was like, why, why did you not just walk over, tap him on the shoulder? Like, dude, he's telling you he can't breathe. It's been eight minutes. Right, it's 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 one third of a SpongeBob episode. You have been on this guy's neck. Okay, let's let's get up. Let's let's put him against the car. Like let's let's move. How do you stand there and just look and like turn your head to the side? Like mm-hmm. that that killed me. But the the person I got more and more mad at, and and yes, I've, I was of course mad at the officer doing it, but it was the guy recording. Like I got so mm-hmm. upset with. After you've recorded for, let's say, three minutes, four minutes, and this guy's still in this dude's throat, why wouldn't you run and push him off? You know what I mean? And, and that's the, where my brain went, mm-hmm. right? Like, if I'm in this situation, I'm seeing this, I'm not just standing there with my phone. I'm screaming and yelling, get off of his neck, right? You're pleading. You're saying, no, please, officer, get off his neck. And at the point when you realize that he's not listening anymore, what are you going to do about it? Now, in my brain, I think th- I understand the reason I'm different, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm the size of a house. Okay, I get that. Um, my bench press is more than most people's families weigh together. I get that. Okay, so me wanting to charge in on something is kind of part of my brain, right? I'm a I'm a defensive lineman. Like charging in is kind of my thing. But I just couldn't understand why you could sit there with your phone out and record, but you couldn't go do something. And that just killed my spirit because the more I think about it, how how are we going to live in a world where we're, we're okay to record, but we're not okay to step between? There was that video of that itty-bitty little girl who stood in front of the, the young black guy who was kneeling. Mm-hmm. And I was like, where was that then? Like, why did it take massive riots and people having to die for us to step up and do the right thing instead of just recording on our phone. She didn't have her phone out when that happened. She just got in front. So I don't know. That's a tough, that's a tough one because I can, I can say that, yeah, you are a large, large man. And part of that is also white privilege because if you run in, they're probably not, they're going to take a second before they even think to fire their gun. Meteor Delvin does that. Now you've got several dead black males. And that's going to be twisted to make it seem like we were part of 
a gang or we were part of an uprising or something. So now the use of deadly force, force is authorized. In that situation, quite honestly, I think that that person recording was doing the only thing they knew that they could was to make sure that this gets documented. And as much as like you'd want to jump into that situation, a lot of times it it has the chance to actually just make it worse and backfire because now you've become aggressive towards the police and now they have even more reason to decide that they want to be aggressive and, and act more more violently. That and the thing is it's a tough situation. Like you'd want to jump in and be like, get, get off, you know? I would give you something even scarier. Who do you call on the cops? Yeah. Yeah. That's the terrifying thing. Like you call 911 so they bring more cops to do the same thing. Yeah. That is a scary, scary thought. It's terrifying. The people that you think are supposed to protect you, you can't call for protection. And I think that's why a lot of things in inner cities go unreported because how are they going to protect me? When they're not doing it now, why would we suspect them to protect us at all? Yeah. And I think that kind of leads to the stigmatism of they're the bad guys, and they look they get looked at as the bad guys because we see stuff like this happening too often, and it builds that distrust towards them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when all this is said and done, police need to earn our trust again. They need to go out of their way to earn our trust. I'm not even talking about just oh, we're going to go play basketball with you one day or... No, 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 no. You have to work to earn our trust. You've broken that trust for so long and that bond that you should have in these communities. You've broken that. And you need to heal that. You need to fix that. And I think every police station in the United States should look at this case and say, you know what? We're not doing something right. We need to fix this. Those cops that got 17 complaints against them, maybe we really need to take a look at that and see why this guy keeps keeps getting complaints. Like, you can't just be, you know, people are just, you know, a-holes and want to report to call the, the police. Like, no, there's there's got to be something underlined to why this guy keeps having police reports filed on him. And all of the cops, the quote-unquote good cops, like, y'all got to stop standing idly standing idly by. Y'all got to speak up and call this stuff out. Because that's the, that's, that's the other issue. It's just that there's nobody on the inside who's constantly holding their brothers to their standard. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. So just to swing the conversation to just a little little different um because we all play games you know we're all like psvg is play some video games and we're all kind of in that that gamer sphere and that that audience what do you guys feel about the different brand responses that we're getting like you're 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 seeing a lot of the the companies come out and they'll have their response about black lives matter and why we stand with you and all of that. You got Ben and Jerry's that made one a hell of a statement. Um, we actually are only buying Ben and Jerry's ice cream now because not not because of their statement. Like their statement was good, but because they were in the protest, right? They they put their money where their mouth was. They donated money. They went out and walked and then got arrested doing it, right? And I was like, you know what? 
I'm not a big ice cream fan, but I am now. Like, you will yeah. be the only brand in our house. Congratulations, guys. Like, yeah. you, just, you just got our money. So, I will give props to Wendy's. They got flack because I think one of their, it came out that somebody who, I think he's an owner, a few owners of Wendy's donated to the Trump campaign and they got a lot of flack for it. And then they straight out came out and said, you know what? We're going to show you how much we appreciate. And they straight up said it. If it wasn't for the black community supporting us, we wouldn't be where we're at today. And they're like, we're going to donate multitude of money mm-hmm. to black colleges, black schools. This is going to be our thing now. They put up, they put up and shut up. Mm-hmm. And that's appreciated. I think more companies should do that. And sometimes you have to put up and shut up. And they yeah. did that. It says a lot. Now, I appreciate that Sony and Xbox came out there and said what they said and Sony got flack for it. <laughs> like People oh, were yeah. like, all lives matter or something like we don't care. I like yeah. what I'm seeing from these companies standing up for black lives and not taking crap for it. Whoever's running the Bloodborne account is a freaking genius. Like I love it. I love the Bloodborne account. <laughs> that that has been one of my favorite things that I've ever seen. Like on a on a whole different level. They were just like, Don't don't buy our game then. If you have an issue, don't play our game. And I yeah. love it. Because how many times yeah. you're going to have any game publisher or anybody who's talking about their game go, yeah, don't play our game. We're done with you. Like that was next level. I loved it because they really showed like we don't care what you entitled people think. Like we're going to do what's right. And that, that's really good to see. So, Even yeah. Target for that matter. Like people were at Target about how their store got burnt down and stuff like that. And Target straight up said our store is not more important than human lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. See, he was like, I can rebuild the building. We can't give him his life back. Mm-hmm. You know? That's a huge statement. Um, the Nickelodeon thing. Oh my God, that was so good because they not only had silence for eight minutes, they had a whole like tribute to it. And there were so many people that were like, My kids shouldn't see this. I don't want my kid to have to deal with that, and yada yada yada. And so many of the responses were like, must be nice. Because my children, when they walk out the door, have to deal with that. So for you to be inconvenienced by a little eight minutes and then an explanation about what's going on and that Nickelodeon stands with black lives, like, miss me with that. You don't like it? Don't watch this. Get out of here. You don't, you, you don't, you don't deserve it. So a lot of the brand responses, I've really appreciated seeing that they, you know, they're not only are they standing with the movement and the fact that something needs to the chains, but they're also donating and, and using their resources to actually further it, you know? Mm-hmm. It could be something to just, you know, make a little statement and then not say anything again, or just like, oh, we need to put out a statement, you know? But when you have companies like Wendy's who not only put out a statement, but also, you know, back it up with acts, then you know that's something that's special, you know? And I really, really appreciate that. And it, it's just been really telling, you know, seeing some of the people and their responses, oh, black lives matter, all lives matter. I'm not playing your games anymore. You know, it's like, well, then don't. You don't deserve to, you know? Yeah. It's 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 really interesting. And with that, it's like, so what are you guys doing like about your, your mental health? Like, we had a situation in our Discord where, you know, people were talking and, you know, it's just a very, very tense time. And sometimes you just got to pull back, you know? 
this kind of stuff can be very, very overwhelming, you know, trying to be positive, trying to figure out what to do with your anger and your emotions and trying to also call people out. Like I'm not in a place where, you know, certain things are okay, but maybe this person is okay with that type of stuff. And that's how they heal. Like, how are you guys navigating like those spaces? How are you guys maintaining your mental health and making sure that you're not just falling into a pit of sadness or despair or not going too deep into social media to where you can't pull yourself back? Like, what are you guys doing to like kind of combat that? Or is that even an issue for you? I didn't combat it. I was in a dark, dark place, like a really dark place. I was angry. I was mad. I wanted to straight up mess people up. Mm-hmm. I was furious. I wasn't taking crap from anybody. I was short. I was just so much full of rage. All I want to say that all the whole week when this was going on, and I think the only thing that literally pulled me out of it is I was getting ready to record an episode. I don't remember what show it was. It might have been PSXP. It might have been after I recorded PSXP. It had to be. And I found a note that my son wrote. Yeah. Saying all these things about how I'm a great dad, I'm a great podcast, I'm a great role model and stuff. And seeing that made me realize how important I am to him, how important I am to others. And I have to get myself out of this funk Mm -hmm. because I was not there. I'm like, I'm not even being joking. I was not there. I was furious. I was angry. And I was at a place where I might not have came back. Like I might've did something stupid. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. fortunately I had my son and my family, my kids there to, kind of pulled me out of that, but I know there's a lot of people who don't have that. Mm-hmm. It was scary. I hear you. I, I'm glad that, I'm glad that, you know, your son was able to bring that levity to you and be able to help that because they, they definitely bring a certain levity, especially, you know, for us, because like we got to do this for them. Yeah. Like we've all had, we all have to have, well, you and I, you have to have that talk, you know, like with our kids. And it's so irritating. It's so frustrating to like, whenever I see my son get upset and kind of rage out, I'm like, you can't do that everywhere, you know? Because unfortunately, your, the color of your skin walks into the room and into any situation before you ever do. And if they don't know you and you see that, that automatically makes you a threat and a target. So the fact that I have to police my son in a way that is like just not fair to him. He should be able to be upset and show emotion and rage out. He's four. But the fact that in the back of my mind, I'm constantly thinking, okay, I have to find ways to get him to understand that you you don't get to do that. That shit sucks. It 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 sucks. And it's heartbreaking to have to really think about that and have to bring him up in that way. And I'm praying that, you know, changes come and that have to be, you know, his situation with his kids down there. Uh, Other tragedies made 
this more real for me. It, it was maybe a week and a half ago, and I only texted Dev. I didn't text anybody else. And I just told him I was going through something that was uh, something I never, ever contemplated having to go through, right? Like, um, take your time. <laughs> I've only ever had uh, one pet until we got Bear, and he was our second. So my first pet was this dog named Daisy that I've had for, for nine years. And then we got Bear, and then we got Roca. And Roca had passed away a while ago, but, like, it was – Roca was my sister's dog that I inherited, so it wasn't the same. But I've had, I've had Daisy for nine years, and we found out last week she has cancer. And I just remember being just like this this – little furry thing that I talk to every day. Like literally that's my therapist. Like that's who, when we go for walks, when I'm working on the car, when I'm hurting, like we just talk it out. And um, to know that I'm not going to have my dog, like just kind of kicked me in the teeth. And then I go, if I care so much about this dog, why can't police officers care about people? Right? Like how is this not easy to understand? And that's when I started writing letters and saying, what can I do to make sure that we're being morally honest and taking care of people? Because if I can love a dog this much, like how are we not able to love all people this much? Right. And it just kind of that bad thing pushed me to kind of go, why are we not standing up for people? Right? Why are we not doing more? Yeah. So, this is a human rights issue. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I just want to be treated like every other human. That's it. Is that too much to ask for? Why do I have to write and protest to just be treated like a human instead of an animal and not be called a thug by the president of the United States? Yeah. Yeah. Shouldn't be that hard. It really shouldn't. Or get the military called out on you. <laughs> Ah. Fun. <laughs> Man. I think this, this is the wake up call for America. It absolutely In is. terms of everything. Like look at our past three what three months and take a just take a look at it. So take a gander of everything that went on and things that could have been avoided and things that could have been done better. Yeah. Yeah. Take stock in that. And definitely remember it election time. Like whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, look at your, look at your government, look at your senators, look at your governors. Think about what they did for you during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And what they did for you doing this. Mm-hmm. And make the responsible choice and decision of whether they deserve your vote or not. I think that was the thing that really floored me. And I'm so glad I follow as many WNBA players as I do. Um, McLeod from, I think she's with the, with the Mystics right now. 
she was like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not doing blackout Tuesday. We're not doing that. That's a voting day. We're voting. Like, do not turn off social media. Do not, like, I don't care if you, you post a thing, but go vote. And I remember then she posted that they had won an election that was previously only held by somebody that was everybody would deemed as this, this racist, horrible human being had finally gotten de-seated in one of the, the areas that she voted in. And I remember just kind of sitting there going, that, that is like one of the most manipulative things I think I've ever seen because I don't know who started it. But I love the fact that we have voices who are calling for votes. Like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not doing that. We are voting. And then Tennessee. Um, so I, I had been debating sending uh, one of my, my kids up there. He's a, he, I just didn't feel safe. And then Tennessee had literally said, um, you can now vote from, from mail-in ballots. Everyone it's, that's just how it is this year. We're changing it. And I was like, okay, yes, that's what we're talking about. Like that, those are the changes we're looking for. Like we're making it so that it's equitable and fair for everybody. Um, and we're not alienating anyone. So yeah, that was kind of cool. It's really cool. I'm, I mean, <laughs> like we're still in a pandemic. We still have to deal with Corona. My county had 72 more cases today. They had, I think 42 yesterday. So yeah, don't let them get over with this nonsense. You can't mail in a ballot stuff. Like we need to be able to do that. Delvin, what we had 2000 new cases yesterday in Orlando. Yep. So we're back on the trending the wrong way. Right. Also, people were going out before the riots even started, so that's not even an excuse. Way before the riots, way before mm-hmm. the riots. I I remember. I I, I don't want to get too far off topic, but I remember uh, my wife only sends me out to do the shopping, and literally we have like a whole list of things I do where I wipe my hands before I get out of the car. I wipe my hands before I get back in the car. Like everything is done through the trunk and be wiping stuff. And we've been very, very safe with it, but she doesn't go out because we're keeping her away from the baby. And I literally drop the, the bags off, go shower, unload everything, shower again. Like we are, it's our first kid. So we're being very protective. <laughs> and I remember the first time I went out and we had set up the, these new rules and I have my, my face mask on. And I, I watch a car of 25 people like it was one of those big, uh, the vans and they're just piling out of it and there's a truck next to them. They're piling out of it and they all go inside together and they're grabbing briquettes and everything. And they're talking about going to, I think, Coco, the beach. And I'm just sitting there going, is nobody listening to what we're being told to do? Like, and that was in March. Mm-hmm. We're not talking April or May after we've done it for like, we're talking that was in March. I just, yeah. So I yeah. can't tell you how many times I've seen people like when I go to like pick up my medicine for my grandmother and stuff like that at the CVS, I see truckloads of people getting ready to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not like multiple trucks, yep. the coolers and everything. Like, Towing a boat. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, as I've seen it, I'm just like, if anybody tries to blame this on the riots, I'm just going to go, yes, the riots may not have helped, but you guys were out in public before. Like, this isn't. 
I'm blaming it on the asshats that decide to storm the Capitol building fully armed. <laughs> uh, Y'all gonna complain about haircuts, but we can't peacefully protest about people getting killed? Mm-hmm. Miss me with that. Absolute nonsense. Oh. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But, um, yeah. That's all I got right now. That's all I got for today. I just wanted to, you know, bring you guys on, have a discussion about this, and just kind of give us a, give us space to like talk about it because I figured if any show was gonna do it, it was gonna be the OT. And I knew I wanted to have Delvin along for that conversation. And I'm glad we were able to sit down and like really talk about this and just put it out there. And like I said, we've had this, we've been talking about it all week in PSVG and I'm glad that we're all on the same page. Like we're all just sick of it. We're sick of the racism. We're sick of the division that we have seen for the last four years. This country has just gotten more and more divided. And it's time for that to stop. Time for this to be over. Black Lives Matter. Write your congressman. Write your senator. Go out and vote. Let's 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 take the power back for us because the police are here to protect us. That's what they're supposed to do. Find out everybody, every, everything that you can vote for, find out. Actually read, get involved, and vote for the people that are going to make change. And if they're not making change, be vocal about them not making those changes. You want to see the change, you got to be the change you want to see. Yeah. It's that simple. Difficult, but simple. <laughs> So, um, any closing remarks that you want to have? That you want to say anything? You you want to you want to say, Coach? Uh, yeah. So, if you are a OT fan, um, more than likely means you're a sports fan. What I have been calling for uh, the families from my teams, um, my students, is go to hbcusports.com. Um, that's hb. Uh, CUSports.com uh, and do do two things for me. One, on the top right hand corner, there's a tab that says donate and you can donate to help send money to help those programs and help those sports teams. And that's that's for all their sports. But the second thing I've asked is, is go pick a favorite team and someone to buy a shirt from and to cheer for. Um, I have just ordered a shirt for me and my wife for North Carolina A&T that we will be making our a uh, team that we'll be cheering for and trying to watch uh, play as much as we can in the next next coming year. Um, and that's kind of the thing I'm pushing people to do because I think in this time, there's some things we can start paying attention to. And there are a lot of athletes at those schools who don't get the recognition because they're going to um, historically black colleges and universities. And so I want to start sending some love that way. And so I challenge you, um, if it's 10 bucks, awesome. If it's, you know, more than that, amazing. But, you know, send a donation to help those teams uh, develop facilities that they deserve um, and pick a team to cheer for and um, watch the world change. So there it is. What about you, Devin? Any closing remarks? Nah, just be. I'm trying to work this right. Be the change that you want to see. Simple as that. Like, if you want change in this country, be that change. Start with yourself. Start. That's the simplest way to help us and empower us. Like, push forth change, whether it's in legislation, whether it's in your neighborhoods. Just be a positive 
influence on not only your life, but others that you may know. I think that goes a long way. Absolutely. Yeah. On this show, which will probably go up on our YouTube, there will be a link, um, just your basic global link for, to donate to the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, but outside of that, get involved in your community. Find out where you can donate in your community to help make it better. Um, it's sometimes difficult to just donate to just like a nebulous fund, but there's always some good you can do in your own community. So be the change you wanna see in your community and start there. Find out how you can get involved. Donate, whether it be, if you don't have money, donate your time. If you can just be a part of your community trying to help make things better, find out where you can get involved and what you can do and be involved. And call out the, the, the terrible stuff that you see. If somebody is doing something that you know they shouldn't, call them out, call it out. If you're upset, voice that. Let people know. And and above all else, just love one another. Like it's not, it's it's so much easier to love than it is to hate. You gotta hold on to hate. You gotta, you know, foster that anger, you know? But love is just it's free. It's easy to give. So love. Just shed love. Spread spread love. Share love. That's all I got. And as a coach would say, that's game over. Shut up and sit down.